we finish <coughs> by understanding three times in the year Israel, every circumcised male <coughs> who had done his, what you call your bar mitzvah or whatever it is, has to go up to Jerusalem <coughs> to worship. So, in the scripture, take your Bible, turn to Exodus 34. It's also in Deuteronomy, but we'll look at this one. <coughs> Exodus 34, we're down in verse 18. Exodus 34, verse 18. Celebrate the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. Eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Abib for in that month you came out of Egypt. Down to verse 22. Celebrate the feast of weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the turn of the year. That's tabernacles. Notice three times a year all your men are to appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory and no one will covet your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord your God. So we understand that three times in the year, three specific feasts, Israel had to go up to the temple. Wherever they were, they had to go there to worship, to keep those three feasts. Because they are a shadow, because I live in the islands a lot, <laughs> This is the characteristic, like it's the tree of life. To islanders it's a tree of life because there's so much from the tree that is used in living in this life. All right? It's used in many, many ways. So what we have is a real coconut tree. But when the sun is shining on the real, there is always a shadow on the ground. Now the Bible told us in, two, in Colossians chapter 2, it said, the Sabbath, these are a shadow. So God put shadow on the earth before the real which was in heaven came to earth. So it shone on Christ and on earth you saw shadow after shadow after shadow as God pointed forward to a reality that would come. Amazing, isn't it? God's methods of teaching are simple but profound, immense. There are immense truths you can establish just from the principle I've stated to you. All right. So we come to that. So in the islands, I say, because I used to go out and work with them in the heat of the day from about two to four and it's hot and I'm in the tropics and you get thirsty. So the green coconut is very nice to drink. It's like lemonade. So you take your green coconut, you cut the end off and you can drink it. It's refreshing. So, you've been working, sweating. You're thirsty. So you want to drink. So I say, all right. Take your cellar, your knife, cut off a shadow coconut and drink it. Because the shadow's on the ground. There's a coconut, shadow, it's on the ground there. Drink it. Laugh. Why you laugh? You can't do it. It'll never satisfy you. Exactly. The shadow will never satisfy. The only purpose of the shadow was to take you and point you to the real so you would come to Christ. That's the purpose of shadow. Misinterpret that and you've lost the message, haven't you? You're only serving things that are touchable, handling, taste not, touch not, handle. They'll perish with the using. We were meant to come to Christ, the imperishable one. That's why. So that's the coconut tree. What I've done here, <coughs> some of you are visual in your understanding, often. I tend to work a bit like that. On there is Leviticus 23. All right, let me explain what you're seeing. It's headed, 
I put the gap in the feasts. When I put the gap, it's time. There's a gap in time. And by the way, this is consistent through both Old and New Testament. There is a gap. It's in Revelation. It's Jesus when he went in Luke 4 and took the scriptures and opened them out. They handed him the scroll of Isaiah. He opened the place, found where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, deliverance to the captives, heal the brokenhearted. He went right through to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He folded it up, handed it back, sat down and said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And they marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. He defined from the Old Testament the purpose of his ministry in coming to earth and he fulfilled it. Why didn't he go on? He stopped, there was no comma, there was no semicolon, there's no full stop. He stopped in the middle of a sentence. Why? Because it goes on. And the day of vengeance of our God. (laughs) Comfort all that mourn in Zion. You're dealing with Israel. He's coming back again, but it will be the day of vengeance of our God. His first coming is the day of God's grace and we live in it. But the day of vengeance is coming. So he stopped at that point, handed it back and said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He did not read on. That awaits another time. But as surely as he fulfilled the first part, he will fulfill the second part. And that is all through scripture. I haven't got time to take you through all the instances in your Bible where that gap is seen. It's not there, but it's there. (laughs) That's how it appears, (laughs) all right? (laughs) So what we've got, I've just headed it like that. What I've done there is put the feast down the left-hand side in order as they come. (laughs) And I've given the timing as it's given in the text each time. So the timing for the feast of Passover is given to you, 14th day of the month, and it's the first month in their year, which is not the first month in our year. Do you know the origin of April Fool? You heard of April Fool? April the 1st? Right? National Idiot, idiot, the Atheist Day, National Atheist Day. A A judge in America said that when the atheist came pleading for a day, these Christians have got days, give us a day. He said, you've already got one. What's that? (laughs) The fool has said in his heart there is no God. April Fool's Day. (laughs) So he used that. The origin of April Fool is to get our minds off the fact that God began Israel's year around that time. So they introduced April Fool's Day, April the 1st. So we shifted it back to January. True? Are you clear? That's what happened. So every action was designed to take away the knowledge of the world in regard to the nation of Israel. I touched Hanukkah and that touched April Fool's Day. For Israel, the beginning of the year is when <coughs> the crescent moon is seen just starting. That begins the month of Abibonisan, depending which Hebrew word you're using. It begins the year for them, the religious year. They do have another year, another start. Same as we have a financial year. And a, you know. But they have a beginning. And God said, and he said in Leviticus 23, this, in Exodus, this will be the first month of the year for you. Wipe out anything else you may know of what the other nations are doing. This will be the first month of the year for you. Tell me, when did your new life begin? I'll tell you, it began in the month of Passover, spiritually in your life. You began to understand that Christ was God's Passover lamb who took your place, died in your stead, bearing your sin and shed his blood, paid the penalty for what your sin and my sin deserved, and satisfied the just demands of a holy God. That's when you began your new life in Christ. You believed the gospel. Israel is only a shadow. 
we learn from the shadow, don't we? So we come to this, understand Passover is the first, timing is given, and then <coughs> we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and please notice, how long does unleavened bread go for? Seven days. Not only is it seven days, the message of seven from the creation account is finished, complete and perfect. Can't add anything to it. Don't take anything from it. It's given, it's complete, it's finished and it's perfect. Seven days. But it begins with what we call a special Sabbath. The week does. The seven days of unleavened bread begins with a special Sabbath. So what happened when Jesus was hanging on the cross? Why did they take him down? Because the next day was a special Sabbath and you do nothing. You can't leave them hanging there. So they went and begged the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled, he's already dead. Remember the soldiers went? He was already dead. So he delivered over to them the body. They could take the body of Jesus. As the sun was going down and the women were watching, far off, they watched Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus bring that body, wrap it up with what they brought with them, put it into the tomb, pull the chalk away and the great stone rolled over the tomb entrance. And he was inside as the sun went down. You begin another day biblically. Not the way we think, but biblically you begin another day. At that point, as the sun goes down, the next day begins. That's from creation, from darkness to light, the first day. So that's what happened. The next day was a special Sabbath. So what could you do? Nothing. No work. You don't do anything. Tell me, the 14th, was the night, there's the day the Passover was killed. That night, they took the Passover lamb, its blood had been applied to the entrance to the house. They roasted that lamb, and God said, You don't boil it, you don't eat it raw, you roast it in fire, and you eat what is roasted for your sustenance. That's your sustenance, not knowing what lay ahead. By the way, you never knew what lay ahead when God called you to himself. I didn't know what lay ahead for my life when God called me, and you didn't. But the sustenance for the rest of your life is based on the fact that God took you out of Egypt under Pharaoh. That's what he did for Israel. So when Jesus dies on the cross and his body is put into the tomb as the sun goes down, the next day is a special Sabbath. The women can do nothing. The next day, they're free. Do you know what they did? Read your Bible. They bought spices and prepared them in preparation for dealing with the body in the tomb. That's why they did it. They could do it. They could purchase. The next day is the Sabbath. Have you separated out the two? Because John does in his Gospel. So you have these days. So what happens on the ordinary Sabbath? Because Jesus had been in the tomb, how long? Three days and three nights. That's how long he's been in there. When does he rise? He doesn't rise and, and wait for the door to roll back so he can get out. He didn't need the door roll back to get out. Did he? He must not have because all the disciples were in a room locked with all the doors closed. There was no way in and suddenly he's standing in the midst and he says, Handle me, I'm solid, I'm not a spirit. How did he come into the room? You're dealing with the unseen world, aren't you? Where the laws of our natural world do not apply. You're dealing with the supernatural beyond the natural. He came out of the tomb. The door was open to let them look in and go in. That's why the stone was rolled back. And it took an angel to do it because the women didn't have the strength and knew it. 
So we have an understanding that there is unleavened bread for seven days. It begins with a special Sabbath, the seven days. It ends with a special Sabbath, seven days. It ends. So the complete message of unleavened bread is finished, complete and perfect. All the effects of sin after he died on the cross were absent as Christ lay in the grave. His body did not see corruption. He had no sin. You say, didn't he bear mine on the cross? Yes, he did. What happened? He put it away by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews teaches us. He put it away. He was both priest and offering. He offered himself without spot to God. He was sacrifice and priest. We find it difficult to grapple with the immensity of what God is doing in His Son and allowing His Son to go through all this for your sake and mine. We grapple with the immensity of it, don't we? And that's what He did. So as He lay in that tomb, He had no sin. Isaiah 53, the forbidden chapter for Israelis. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Tell me, your iniquity, he defines it, we were like sheep going astray. We turned everyone to his own way. That's iniquity. We've gone our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all talk about a gospel to the world of dying in sin. That's the message. And he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Nothing you have done, not one work of yours will allow you to enter heaven. It is only the work of Christ. That's why he said, I am the way. So we come to understand this Feast of Unleavened Bread is so important to what happened at the cross. Then you come to the final one which is either 49 days or 50 depending whether you call it Feast of Weeks or Feast of Pentecost which by the way is the end of the wheat and the barley and the wheat harvest. Two loaves and I won't go into that. (coughs) But it's the Feast of Pentecost The day is given to us there and that's why when you're reading in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, Acts 2, the day of Pentecost had fully come. That means right on time, not island time, right on time. That's when he came. The Holy Spirit came. So we understand timing and event is exact with God. The shadow, timing is real. Fulfillment is right on time. Details are a shadow. The reality we understand from what we read in the Gospels. True? The reality of what took place there, we understand from the the accounts that we are given of what took place. So that's it. Then, amazingly enough, God is systematic and consistent. He writes in at the end of verse 22, I am the Lord your God. Finish, stop. Four feasts perfectly fulfilled by Christ in the nation of Israel in timing and detail, weren't they? Those four feasts perfectly fulfilled in Israel. It's concerned with the nation of Israel. He came to his own. His own received him not. He said, I'm not sent to the lost, I'm, I, I am not sent to the dogs, the Gentiles, I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So, we understand he came to Israel. And when he came, he perfectly fulfilled for Israel the first four feasts. And the Holy Spirit came. And they were Jews, some proselytes, and no Gentiles there. The Holy Spirit came, and from that point, the gospel has spread to every nation of the world. Not by Jews. Initially by Jews. Initially by those apostles. You can read it in Fox's book of martyrs, what happened to them. 
because it's someone from India. Thomas Lemaine I went to India. Church of St. Thomas is in India. There's another man went to India also. I forget which one it was. They all died. They all killed. You can read the account. Only John was not killed, actually. But what he suffered before he died is purely miraculous that he stayed on living because he put in a tub of boiling oil. So when we come to this understanding, the gospel has gone out. The scriptures have gone out. It wasn't the Jews who sent the scriptures out, was it? You have today true scriptures being translated all the time so every tongue, tribe and nation across the world can have the scriptures in their own language and understand what took place. It was commissioned to the Gentile world, the church, plus the Jews, to take the message out. And God says, I am the Lord your God, finish. There is a gap, and what I put on your screen there is seven golden lampstands, which are the seven churches. And the history of the church is given in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And wherever we are, whichever church may fit our character or quality, we are in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Today. And you will identify where you are at in your own personal relationship with God, where you are standing with God, what you are going through, it's all there. That's the history of the church. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So we learn from the lips of Christ where we are at. We learn from every church listed in, Genesis, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We learn. But there is a gap in time and we are in that gap. But God is dealing with the nation of Israel. So we come to the last three feasts and they have not been fulfilled in Israel by the Lord Jesus and they are going to be fulfilled in Israel by the Lord Jesus at his second coming to Israel. He's coming back to Israel. Then remember the two men who stood by the disciples when they watched and Jesus disappeared going up into heaven? cloud received him out of their sight. You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing into heaven? This same Jesus will so come in like manner you have seen him go into heaven. And they're standing on the Mount of Olives. Zechariah tells us, his feet will stand in that day on the Mount of Olives. He's coming back for the sake of his people Israel. He's coming back. But in his coming back, there is yet to be fulfilled three feasts to the nation of Israel. And by the way, they're all in the seventh month, the first day, the tenth day, the fifteenth day through to the twenty-second. We'll see three feasts perfectly fulfilled in the nation of Israel. By the way, when the Feast of Tabernacles reaches its eighth day, it's called, This is the Closing Assembly. And the whole lot finishes with, I am the Lord your God. So God has systematically divided up the feast so we clearly understand. Is that clear? <laughs> to me it's very clear, alright? He has systematically set it out like that. <laughs> alright, let's go on. I've said Christ's first coming to Israel perfectly fulfilled first four feasts. On time and in detail. Christ's second coming to Israel, they will be perfectly fulfilled on time and in detail by Christ and his own people. It's going to happen. Remember, it is prophetic. You cannot fulfill these last three feasts in God's dealings with Israel. I don't know how you try to twist them or do anything with them. He did the work at the cross, but the reality to the nation of Israel is yet to happen. And when it does, a nation will be born in a day. New birth. Never before happened. A whole nation has come alive in Christ. Something to look forward to for the nation. The pathway is awful ahead for the nation. Please notice 
first four feasts, there is a unifying principle in the first four feasts. It is grain. It all has to do with the issue of grain, except for a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. If it die, it brings forth much fruit. Tell me, has it brought forth much fruit? Christ died. The just for the unjust, so he might bring us to God. And we have come to believe that and we have come to understand our approach to God is through Christ and we can call him now my Father. Father. He sends forth the Spirit of His Son into our heart, crying, Father. I've got a Father. Even if I had an earthly one and He ran off and He never stayed with my mother. Whatever happened to me as an orphan, whatever happened, you pass here and you are in an eternal relationship with a Father. That is the most comforting thing. Isn't it? Don't care what past you've had. That is the most comforting thing you can have. Huh? Emphasizes that. Yeah. Excellent. Wait till Sam can preach again and he'll cover it. <laughs> I am thrilled, and I, we were talking before, before um, this session started, talking. And uh, Gary mentioned about uh, fellows that, you know, felt this same warming in the heart as, as you're listening to the Word of God. And I said, that's why the Bible says, <coughs> how is it then, my brethren, when you come together? One hath a psalm, one hath a doctrine, one hath a, a tongue, one hath an interpretation. Let everything be done decently in order. When it comes to prophecy, if something is revealed to someone, let this one keep silent and let the other speak. Why? The Spirit of God is moving and revealing truth and the, the control of the meeting we are meant to understand is under the control of the Spirit of God. True flesh will try and intrude. That's why you must have elders within a church to bring about control and discipline into what is happening. But it's quite correct if a revelation is given to someone has come to you from God. Even if I am ministering like this and I understand the working of the Spirit of God, it's right for you to speak and say, can I speak? And you have, you have a revelation of something God. And that will bring blessing. I am not unique, all right? You are not unique. God can take anyone. But it must be under the sense of the control of the Holy Spirit and not the flesh bringing about self-gratification but done like that with the moving of the Holy And how rare has it been when the Spirit of God was able to move freely in the midst of God's people as they meet together to have people entering in and you're recognizing the Spirit of God is moving in the midst and you're seeing people being used. That is what we long for. We long for the God's presence in reality in our midst. I think as we go through, you will see there is a pathway to that because we learn lessons from the Passover in the Old Testament, which if I get long enough, we'll take you there. All right. <laughs> so grain is what holds together the first four harvests. When you come to the second lot, the seventh month is what holds together the last three harvests. They are, that is the unifying principle God has put into it. So you have that, I've outlined it like that to give some idea of what these are like. <coughs> Alright, now we're going to take your Bible. The Lord said to Moses, so take your Bible <coughs> and we'll have a look. We are on, the Lord said to Moses. Re uh, Leviticus 23, and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 4. Leviticus 23, verse 1 to verse 4. we we'll read it through and then we'll comment on it. The Lord said to Moses, and this starts a section, it finishes at verse 8 and begins another section at verse 9. You will notice the Lord said to Moses, 
So we're reading from verse 1 to verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed feasts, the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. Then he begins, There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, a day of sacred assembly, you are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. So he has defined the Sabbath day because it's going to occur seven times through these feasts. Then he says, verse 4, These are the Lord's appointed as feasts, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. So the first thing we have to do is this. Why does he introduce the Sabbath here when he's only dealing with the feasts? Because if we do not understand the message of the Sabbath, we will not understand the message of the feasts because the Sabbath carries a message. And since there are seven special Sabbaths, he outlines the message of the Sabbath before he starts on the feasts. So we must understand the message of the Sabbath. Take your Bible, Exodus 31. First thing we learn from Scripture is the Sabbath is a sign. You're in Exodus 31. We're going to read from verse 12 and verse 13. First thing we learn about the Sabbath, it is a sign. Exodus 31 and verse 12 and 13. You'll notice how it starts. Then the Lord said to Moses, so you're in a separate section, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. So speaking to Israel, you, Israel, you must observe my Sabbaths. Notice, this will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. It means a continuous thing Israel is to observe, the Sabbath. So that you may know that I, the Lord, I am the Lord who makes you holy. Now think, what is a sign? A sign has two things. Every sign, every sign you see, biblically or in the world you're living in, has two things about every sign. In... Uh, we have Digicel. Does that ring a bell to you? Digital cell phone. Digicel, eh? TVL in, in Vanuatu. Here you have Amazon and uh, I don't know all the things you have. Telstra, all this kind of thing. The name has, has a meaning, doesn't it? Digicel means digital cell phone. Every name has a meaning. There's a meaning behind the name somewhere. But every sign, not only does it have meaning, it carries a message. It's so much time for so much money. True? Every street sign, the name on the street sign has meaning. You might know who that name person is and you might know why it's there, but it has meaning. That's why it's put on that post. But it points so that you may, its message is, this is the road. Every sign. God is... Simple but very profound. Tell me the first sign that appeared in our world. The first sign from God, the rainbow. He called it sign. It's a sign. What is the rainbow? It's a sign. Therefore, if it's a sign, it carries meaning and message. What is the meaning of the rainbow? It's a message of mercy, isn't it? He's destroyed the world with a flood. He said, I set my bow in the heavens. When I see it, I will never do again as I have done. That is, I will never destroy the world with a flood. Whole fossil record, all that we find in geology, 
records a worldwide catastrophic action that destroyed every living thing wherein was the breath of life. That's history in the world which you don't learn in school but which is the facts of the continents of our world. The Bible is real history. So it's a sign. It carries a message. I will never do as I have done. There's a hymn that says, God's rainbow arch, his mercy sign. I thought, wow, you got it right. We don't some, sing some of these hymns anymore. But it goes, God's rainbow arch, his mercy sign. So when you see violet, indigo, blue, green, yellow, orange, red, in a flag across a lady with a star of David underneath and she's LGBT, shaking her fist at God, this is our behaviour, we will have this lifestyle. Margaret was on the phone. You can tell them if you like. This isn't the mic. <laughs> the, 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 she was speaking to Jerusalem when this appears on uh, YouTube and that kind of thing with this lady, the, the um, Pride March in Jerusalem and she's draped the uh, colours of the LGBT movement, which is a rainbow, over the top of the Star of David at the back of her going through. And uh, Margaret spoke to her about it and this lady she was talking to, that's why I said you tell it. <laughs> I always get things wrong when I've got to tell stories. <laughs> They're playing with fire was her comment. Not knowing really what she said I don't think. So the Bible teaches us God has given a sign and every sign has meaning and message. So in your text, please look at it. You are in Gen uh, Exodus 31 and you're in verse 12 and verse 13. Verse 13, look at it carefully because it tells you the Sabbath is a sign. Now if it's a sign, it is going to have meaning and message. Must. That's what every sign has, whether you're doing the circumcision. The Bible is full of signs. They all fulfill this, this principle. So, if the Sabbath has meaning and message, tell me the meaning of Sabbath. Rest. And rest means what? Now, my wife is the Hebrew expert. I'm not. <laughs> But she says it originates from the word sit. So what have you got? You're in the book of Hebrews where the Sabbath is taken in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. He deals with the Sabbath of rest very strongly. When you open up the book of Hebrews, what have you, what have you got? It says, When he had by himself, this one who made the world, this man who is into inherit all things, when he had by himself, that's loneliness, the King James, purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why? Finished work. That's the message. Work's been done. He did the work to bring you to God, to bring me to God. He did the work. I am to trust him for the work that he did. Now, that's the, mess, the, that's the meaning of the word Sabbath. In verse 13, look at it carefully, the message of the Sabbath is there in your verse. What is the message of the word Sabbath in your verse 13? I am the Lord your God who makes you holy. What's that say? It's not the day that's the issue. Keeping the day, you can do what you like. It's only shadow. He said, I am the Lord your God. I make you holy. What are you depending on? The power of God, aren't you? So, what is the power of God? Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. And the world doesn't want that wisdom. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. What's it mean? You've ended your life and I'm going to put my life in you. 
That's salvation, isn't it? We become the abode of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God, which is in you, which you have of God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit because they've been bought by God. That's our position. So right back there when he brings the Sabbath, he says, it's a sign. And the sign is, I, the Lord your God, make you holy. There's a power outside of yourself which is immeasurable. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you. He that raised Christ from the dead will one day quicken your mortal body so your mortal body will be made like his glorified body. Therefore we are debtors not to the flesh to live after it. Live after the flesh, we die. If we use the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. Why was that? Paul found in himself there was no good thing. I'm a wretched man. He's not speaking as someone outside of the kingdom of God. He is speaking as a regenerated being because he said, I delight in the law of God. But in my body, flesh, there's another law operating and it's fighting against it. I'm a wretched man. Who can deliver me from this? Let me ask you, is your body going to be glorified? According to the gospel, that is the final outcome of every person's salvation who is in Christ. Listen carefully. Those he justified, them he also glorified. There is no distinction between what is between. Those he justifies, them he also glorifies. If God is for you, who can be against you? And your flesh is going to fight against the law of the spirit of life. And you're going to have a battle. We all have a battle. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. It's created to be like Christ in righteousness and true holiness that is only accomplished by the power of the Spirit of God operating in you and me. So how does he operate? He operates by his word. His word has power. You pick up this book. How does does Paul present the church a pure virgin to Christ? Washed in the water of the word. It renews our mind. It determines the way we think. We begin to think the way God thinks on things, not the way the world does, not the way I do. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And so we are lifted to a level where we realize, really, God, you are doing this. This is what you've said you will really do. You will change me by your power. That's your salvation. Yes, it is. And that's what Paul preached. He called it sanctification. So we had justification, sanctification and glorification, the three pillars that hold up the salvation by God. Justification (coughs) dealt with the penalty for your sin, death. Sanctification dealt with the power of sin in your life. Glorification deals with the very presence of sin. There will be no law of sin and death in your body. If you're in the dust and you rise or you're alive on the earth and you meet Christ in the air, sin is forever out of the memory. Out of its power. You now have an immortal, incorruptible body for eternity. That is the promise of God through the gospel because he did it in Christ. Christ is the first fruits. Those that are Christ's at his coming. What happened to Christ will happen to you. That's the work of God. Tell me, grab hold of your shoelaces and pull yourself up. You can't do it. You will rise when God calls. It will be the power of God's word and we will rise to meet him in the air. This is an immense event which is meant to be the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. 
much of the church is losing the message of that blessed hope. We are bogged down in so many things. Get the mind of God in your mind. Renew your mind with the Word of God and realize this is the hope of every believer. I'm going to see him. I'm going to meet him. All right? What did I do then? Oh, that's right. <laughs> the meaning. <coughs> now, turn to Exodus 31 and we'll look at the, the meaning. The meaning is rest. Please notice what it says in Exodus 31. We'll read down. Exodus 31, verse 14. <coughs> Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Now, how, do you, how is Israel to observe the Sabbath? It's holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Would you like to be a Jew? Would you like to be an Israelite? Would you like to be under the law? Desecrate the Sabbath and you're put to death. That's what God said. You desecrate it, you're put to death. To emphasize it, no one, no, notice he goes on in his text, whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. Well, tell me, are you in fear and tremor? You're a Jew. It's the Sabbath day. You're under the law. These are God's words. Tell me, would you be shaking in your boots? One man heard God speak the words of the Sabbath. All Israel did. All Israel was gathered. They all heard God say, no work then he just added a little phrase. Whoever lights a fire on the Sabbath day must be put to death. Just added it. After he told us in Exodus 35. So here, as we go through, God is teaching Israel no work. Let me ask you a question. When did Israel learn about the Sabbath? Be careful of your answer. It must be biblical. <laughs> in the wilderness, not at Mount Sinai, before they got to Mount Sinai, in the wilderness, remember they have come out of Egypt. They have been slaves in Egypt. There was no Sabbath day in, Israel, in Egypt. Do you understand that? They are driven by whips. They've got slave masters. There is no Sabbath day. There were no unions, all right, to plead their cause. <laughs> so, You've got them, they've come out of slavery like this. They've had no Sabbath day. So God brings them into the wilderness and remember they complain. And so do we sometimes when we look at the pathway, why, why did you bring me here? They complained. And they complained because there was no food. And God said, in the morning, when you get up, it'll be on the ground. So in the morning when they got up and the Jew was there, they looked on the ground and it was like frost. And you know, you down here, you know what, we don't get frost on our farm, but you know what frost is like. It covers all the grass and everything. It's white and all over. It looked like frost, hoarfrost, all over the ground. So, in Hebrew, manna, not mana, you islanders, manna. <laughs> mana, manna, manna, what is it? So they called it, what is it? Why? They had never, ever seen it. Moses had never, ever seen it. What is it? They're in the desert. It's desert. And the morning comes like this and the dew is there and it's all over the ground. And the instructions are, gather it. Enough for your family. So much. Every person's need is to be met. And amazingly enough, Paul takes this to teach on giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He uses this incident. So they gather it together. When the sun rises, melts, it's gone. And God said, you don't keep any till the next day. Now if you're a Jew, and you think like a Jew, which is a normal human, you would say, wasn't there yesterday. I've never seen it before. It's not going to be there tomorrow. I'm going to keep some. 
wouldn't you? The natural man would think like that. So what happened? That's what they did. And by the morning it bred worms and stank. It was rotten by morning. And God was angry. So we go through day after day. Sixth day comes. And God had told them, you gather twice as much and you keep it. So the elders came to Moses and they said, they have gathered twice as much and they've kept it. And Moses said, that is right. That is what God said. But the last time we kept it, it bred worms and stank. That is, I'm putting words in, all right? That is what God said. So that's what they did. And it never bred worms and it never stank. But some of them went out looking on the seventh day and God is angry again through Moses. Will you, how long before you obey the word of God? Do you know it's from this incident that Jesus answered the devil in Deuteron- from Deuteronomy in the desert? Man shall not live by bread alone. Israel was being taught an immense truth. Man does not live by bread alone. He lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how man lives. And it's true. So they were teaching it. So from this point on, for six days, it was there every day. But the seventh, never. And God said, you will do no work. You don't go out. It won't be there. I'm teaching you. No work. Nothing. You rest on the seventh day. So we are taken in Scripture, in Numbers 15, to an incident in the desert. Whereas they're going through the desert, a man went out on the Sabbath day and started to pick up some sticks from the desert floor. And we now use electricity and gas, but then they use sticks to light the fire to cook. He was going to light a fire on the Sabbath day to cook something. And they saw him. They didn't know what to do. They took him in, they put him in prison, in hold, it says. Didn't know what to do with him. Moses went to God. What do we do? Take him outside the camp and stone him to death. See, huh? That's not justice. That's not right just for picking up a few sticks. What's he done? Changed the whole message of God. You can add a work to the Sabbath day. You can't. Christ has done the work. He's finished it. You trust what he's done. You will add nothing to it. If you do, you'll defile him. He is to be totally trusted for the work he's done. He taught Israel through very profound instances. The Sabbath message was no work. If there is no work, who'll do the work? I am the Lord, your God, who makes you holy. Tell me, how much power has God got to make you holy? That's why when you read Exodus 20, you get the law given the first time. In Exodus 20 verse 11, it finishes off, remember the Sabbath day and make it holy, you'll do no work, neither you nor your servant, your man's servant, etc. At the end of that in verse 11 he says, in six days I made heaven and earth, the sea and everything that is in them and I rested the seventh day. Therefore you will keep. What's he saying? It's my power that brought everything into existence. You'll rest the seventh day because it's my power that will make you holy. And you've got to trust me to do it. So when the law is given the second time, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law and I've come to the river Jordan And it's the second giving of the law. The only part changed is the Sabbath day. It's no longer I made heaven and earth in six days. You know what he says? I brought you out of Egypt 
with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand. I redeemed you out, therefore you will keep the Sabbath day. It's my power that created all things. It's my power that brought you out of Egypt. Trust me. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Why does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 10, they're all baptized unto Moses under the cloud and in the sea. They come out of Egypt. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink because they drank of that rock and that rock was Christ. And that rock was smitten and the water followed them through the wilderness. They didn't have any water in the wilderness. You read your Psalms, the rivers of water flowed. God sustained them in a desert. The nations around knew this massive number of people, probably over, well over two million, sustained all their cattle, all their flocks, it's totally miraculous what God has done to Israel. All the nations knew it. Rahab told them they knew it. So when you come to this here, you realise they were to trust the power of God. They could see the power of God. Evidence. You look out there and Paul says, you're without excuse. Creation declares who God is. The maker of all things. His divine power. His whole nature is revealed. It's stained by sin. There is no question. It corrupts. It goes like that. But the handiwork of beauty and of all that goes with it is stamped into creation. The smaller you go, right down to DNA, histones and all the rest, the smaller you go in the cell makeup, the more in, uh, intricate and amazing in detail it all becomes. When you go out in the universe, the, the further you go, the more you see the design, the beauty, all that goes there. And they're blind. No, it just happened, bang, <laughs> over billions of years. And they're pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And what do you do with your problems? You put it in a black hole and you call it dark matter. <laughs> all right? What does God say in his word? I did it. What's the world become? Idolatrous. What are you and I? Don't go with the world. You worship this God, the God of, that made all things. Now he reveals himself to Israel and he gave them the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath day's lesson was no work. You trust me, I make you holy. You want to know how you make holy? You know when you come to Christ you sometimes wonder, you know I've come out of a lifestyle, will I go back into it? Will I be pulled back in? And you'll feel temptation, you'll feel pull, particularly if you've been on drugs or you've been into things and your flesh has yielded and you, you've given way and then you come to Christ and, and the pull still can come. Temptations come. We're not free from temptation. Even though we're believers, what do you do? Call upon me and I will answer you in the day of trouble. Right? No temptation has taken you but such as is common to man. You think I'm alone, no one else is experiencing what I'm experiencing. Rubbish. One man has. And he's been taken to a depth you will never be taken. That's Christ. And in that Garden of Eden, no, not Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane, remember what he prayed? If it's possible, take this cup from me, but not my will. Yours be done. Don't tell me you won't face that kind of issue in your life. Temptations will come. But the Bible says there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. What's it turn your eyes? God is faithful. What do you mean? He will not allow you to be tempted beyond anything you are able to bear. You say, you don't really know what it's like to be tempted, Christ. You don't know what I'm going through. True? You can come through that point. You don't know. Is that true? No, it's not. You say, I'm too weak. I can't stand it. What do you do? How weak was Christ? The Bible tells you, as he flung himself onto the ground, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling from his brow, bursting. Blood! What's happening? He is at the point of death. You know when he went into the garden... He said, my soul is exceeding, not my body, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even to the point of death. You've never been to that point. 
You've not shed blood resisting sin, Hebrews says. Christ is your example. So what happened? As he's sweating blood like this and he's crying out to his father, what did God do? Send an angel to strengthen him. He could not have gone on physically had God not, not interceded, brought down an angel to strengthen him. You will not be taken that low. But he was taken that low so that when you cry out in your temptation, he understands. If he was strengthened by his father and he's given you birth as his child, don't you think he'll care for you? He's been through it. He's been in the middle of it. And God his father met him there. If he's been through that, do you think he's got the power to comfort you and me? No one understands like Jesus. No one cares for you like Jesus. That is him. What he's like. So when we come to the Sabbath day, we understand there are immense lessons. I, the Lord, make you holy. He has his ways. He has his means. You wonder what you're going through. You wonder why it is. The purpose is cast yourself upon the Lord and he will sustain you. That is the message we get from it. I, the Lord, make you holy. Shadow points to the reality. God rested. I won't go through Hebrews. You can do that. It's an amazing section from chapter 3 and chapter 4 through. Commences with this truth because there are seven special Sabbaths in these feasts. So now that we've covered the importance of understanding the Sabbath, no work, we understand the whole message of these feasts is to point you to Christ, to point Israel to Christ. He's the power of God. He's the wisdom of God. He is. All right. Now we can start where we need to. <laughs> we are starting into the feasts, all right? And we're dealing with the first feast, which is probably take the rest of our time because it is so important. We are dealing with the question of the Passover. So take your Bible, turn to Leviticus 23, and we're looking at <coughs> verse 5. <coughs> Leviticus 23, verse 5. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. So we are now at the Lord's Passover. It is a specific day. It begins at twilight on the 14th day. So you go right through from the twilight right through to the evening of the 15th day, which is a special Sabbath to follow. So he gives us that timing. That is the only comment made here to understand the Passover. Now let me explain. I'm not going to take you to what the Jews do today in their Passover meal. I'm not going to take you to the Lord's Passover which he held with his disciples for understanding. I'm taking you back to where everything began. So we turn to Exodus chapter 12 to understand what is being said here. Exodus chapter 12. The details of the Passover are covered in this chapter. We'll just read it through. Notice it starts, the Lord said to Moses, so it begins a whole new subject. The Lord said to Moses, chapter Exodus 12, verse 1, and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. It's as though God said, note it, I said the first month. Notice it? He doesn't just say it once, he repeats it. Why? It's important. This month, apart from what anyone else in the world acknowledges, this month is for you. 
the first month of your year. So outlined from here is a year with seven feasts in it. And this month begins all that. Without this, there's no commencement. You must have this. This is the beginning of it all. And for Israel, this is the beginning. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. So, instruction are, remember, they're not told anything about it, they're just told. <coughs> this month begins your year. You take the tenth day of this month, you take a lamb. They're not told anything, they're just instructed and process. No event has happened. There have been judgments on Egypt. Egypt has devastated. But they're just told, you take a lamb. <coughs> and you take that lamb on the tenth day. When did Jesus ride into Jerusalem? The tenth day of Passover week. He rode into Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you, meek and lowly, riding on a donkey, and they call it the foal of a donkey. Why? He's presenting himself to Israel, and it is Passover week. He rides into Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you. What was the charge on the cross? This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. That's the charge. And they said, don't write that. Write, he said I am. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. That dream must have affected Pilate. His wife had written, had sent a message which said, don't you have anything to do with this just man. I've been troubled by a dream. So he said to them when they came, thanks very much. I can't throw everything around. So when, when, when he... So when he says that, what I've written, I've written, the charge remains, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So the tenth day he's presented, he is sacrificed on the fourteenth day. What kind of person was he? He was a lamb without blemish and without spot. He was sinless. I find nothing in this man no man ever spoke like this man. No man ever did what this man did. And yet, he was nailed to a cross. Why? Because you should have died for your sin, but he took your place. I should have died for my sin, but someone has taken my place and paid the penalty for my sin because the wages of sin is death. And he died, the just for the unjust, so he could bring us to God. Hallelujah. Have you come to God? Because that's the pathway defined for us in Scripture. And you will not change it. There is no other way. Try climbing over the wall, try going through another door, and you'll never get there. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's the pathway. God bless you. It's the finish. I have a timekeeper in case you didn't notice and it's very good. I need one. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs>